0: Okay, we all know that content marketing engages and educates potential customers, not to mention helping you show up higher on the search engines. But who are we kidding? The time that it takes to write, design, and publish all that content is like a full time job. That's where Breezy comes in, your new virtual content marketing team. At Breezy, we do all the heavy lifting of digital content marketing so that you can do what you do best your business. Whether you're a consultant, agency, startup, or small business, Breezy is like adding a new department that allows you to scale without all the risk. To learn more, just head over to breezycontent.com. That's B-R-E-E-Z-Y content.com. Breezy, content marketing just got easier. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast today. We have a really good interview in store. And of course, everybody's at home and everybody is on the internet. And so we got so close to being done with this interview. And at the very last minute, uh, she cut off, but it's still really, really good. So I encourage you to listen to the whole thing. Thanks a lot. Here we go. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Startup Sanctuary Podcast. My name is Josh Webb, and thanks so much uh, for for being here today. Um, we have a really good podcast, and if you haven't listened to us before, this is the podcast where we talk about the personal side of entrepreneurship. Um, I know everybody loves to hear tactics all the time, and we definitely do cover those things, but man, business is really uh, really personal, and it usually comes from a really deep place. And so... Um, to segue from that, we have somebody who definitely has come from a deep place. Uh, it's a new friend of mine, uh, Suzanne Carpenter, is the founder of Carpenter One Hundred and Eighty, uh, and she's a teacher and a mentor and a consultant. I love all those. I love all those things, uh, and I try. I try to find those people as much as uh, as I can, um, and really, she does all that to help people clear up con- uh, food confusion and just really to help them with their health. So, uh, welcome to the show, Suzanne. Thank you
1: so much for having me, Josh.
0: Now, everything that you, on your website, and everything calls you Suze. So am I supposed to call you Suze?
1: Yes. When people get to know me better, I think they get tired of saying Suzanne and they just shorten it.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to, you got to save all that time. That's you like time you could be saying something else. <laughs> <laughs> so Su, Suze, and it's not Suzy, it's Suze. It's Suze. All right. All right. Well, great. Well, th- thanks so much for, for, uh, for being here today. Um, I, I want to hear, you know, you know, we, we're, um, new uh, new to each other. And so I, I don't know that much of, about you other than what I've read on your website. So can you tell us just a little elevator pitch about, about your story and, and how you got started in, in the health industry?
1: Yep, I sure can. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to be here. So uh, guess what? I had a secret that I didn't plan to tell anybody that I really thought I was going to take to the grave with me. So I'm this girl that's born and raised in Michigan, and I am six foot two. And I always say that means I kind of have a different perspective on everything. Met my husband in college, Mm -hmm. and we just started growing a life together. We have four kids And I started out teaching first grade, came home when number two was born. And in that time frame, I developed one of my superpowers. And I just kind of jokingly say, once I understand science, I can explain it in a way that a first grader can understand it. So then I stay home, raise the kids. And you know how life is going to throw you a curveball? It's not if, it's just when. Ours was in 2009 when the auto industry tanked. And we relocated our Mm. family to Jackson, Mississippi, following my husband's career, And with that, we took a 40% pay cut and we're probably the nicest people on the planet. So we weren't talking about that with one another because we didn't want to stress each other out. And I, I don't really give that as free marital advice, but that was just what we were doing. So I bump into a direct sales company. This is over 10 years ago. And I was doing it just to kind of stay home, but keep my family on track. But Josh I started to get like that entrepreneur bug. Like I really liked the idea of working from home for myself. Isn't that
0: annoying? (laughs) Isn't that annoying? Wouldn't it be be easier if you could just ignore that?
1: (laughs) Just make it go away? Yes. And I have always been an entrepreneur. I understood working for profits, not wages at a really young age. It always made more sense to me to babysit than say work in the mall. I saw that I could make Mm -hmm. more money. Okay. So I just start out in this nutrition company and fitting people to products. And I start to notice that they're really looking for magic diet pills. And I was like, guys, those don't exist. And I would Mm. spend a lot more time pro bono just working on the food part and the nutrition part. And that was a sweet spot for me. Like I could get lost doing that for hours in a day because I enjoyed that teaching. All right. So I'm asked a pivotal question and it's, Suzanne, you say you would die for your kids, but would you change for them? And that's what changed everything because that question kept me up at night. And I realized that I was going to have to come to terms with my eating disorder. So since Mm. probably junior high, I had uh, basically starved myself and then I would binge. And then I try to use exercise to outrun my fork. And it was a terrible spiral I was in. And I think that it had to do with the fact that I was so tall. I was trying to fit into a box. Okay. So mm. I get myself help. I sit in front of all kinds of doctors and dietitians, and I do the work on me so that my girls were not going to grow up to be like me. That's what I couldn't stand the idea of. And this is God. where we land. I came to this place where I felt so much better. I felt so free because I understood how to use food for fuel rather than it be the thing that I was battling against, that I realized two out of three Americans are overweight. One out of three is obese. The weight is holding people back from building and creating and sustaining these great lives that they're meant to live. And so I built out this company really by taking one fearful step forward to give back what I needed to know at a far younger age. I wish I had known what I know now when I was in my 20s. So my company is really my way to go back and reteach the stuff we should have learned when we were in high school, because I think we'd all be in a far better spot.
0: Oh man, that's yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. And uh, I mean, what a great why. Uh, to to not only have your own personal experience but also to connect it to to your kids and 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 their future. I, I love that so uh, let me let me ask you this um, I, i've i worked a lot with a lot of startup companies. I've also worked with a lot of uh, nonprofits mm-hmm. and it's interesting that when somebody comes out of a uh, an experience like what you've had, something that's like deeply personal, um you know a lot of times they can they can struggle with uh, you know once it starts turning into business and starts turning into profit, it's like they struggle to kind of make that connection. Um, Have you had any challenges in turning, turning a passion project like this into an actual business where you can kind of look at it objectively?
1: It is hard to look at objectively. In fact, that's something that I think I struggle with most is taking the emotion out of the decision. Um, I, in the very beginning stood on the cliff of feeling like an imposter or inferior, or um, I wasn't big enough to actually start doing this. I wasn't smart enough. I didn't have enough behind me. And that's a lie because you all have the first day. We all have to start someplace. But that is really what I battled with and continued to have to overcome, especially in the early phases of giving birth to this passion project. Because I agree with you, a lot of times, some of the best companies come from your message comes from your mess. It comes from something that you overcame and it's a problem you want to help solve for somebody else.
0: Yeah. Uh, I I think, you know, I go back to, I don't know if you've ever heard of like the entrepreneurial operating system or anything like that. And they always talk about having, having a controller or kind of a, kind of an implementer. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that's so important for a visionary or somebody who's starting a company, it's like, you got to have that why. And that why has got to be really important. Like if it came out of like, oh, here's a good idea. I think it will make me some money. Mm -hmm. That's good because you can be objective about it. But what's hard is that th- that it won't be as powerful as something that you're like almost sloppily connected to. That's
1: right, because
0: and so you need that mindset. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so it's, let me, let me dig, dig into your, your programs a little bit. I, I know you kind of one of the first steps of, uh, to work with you is to choose a program. Tell me a little bit about how you developed that and how you, how you turned, uh, like you, you'd mentioned the science that you had learned into, into these actual programs. Okay,
1: sure. This gets to be a lot of fun. So two of the three programs people are very familiar with. One of them I call babysit my plate and that's one-on-one and I joke and call it like the tutoring. The person who's like, Seuss. I have questions. I need to talk to you. I want accountability. I want you to hold my hand. You know, we all kind of have that one-on-one. Then I have virtual courses that I'm developing called the Food Peace University. That's for your self-learner that wants to do something online. And the third one is what I'm so excited about. And it's called SOS or Sue's on your shoulder. And now think about that angel on your shoulder that's chirping messages in your ear. What I did is I developed this into a subscription that's $15 a month, and it is a three to five minute soundbite that drops right to your text message every single day, teaching you what you need to know in the right sequence so that you can win at losing weight. Now, this is why, and this is where I went back to my roots as a teacher. I understand how we learn, and it comes from repetition. So, also, do you remember that feeling, Josh, when you had to study for a test and you had all the books on your desk and you were so overwhelmed with like, oh, what do I need to know for this exam? What it's there's so much.
0: I definitely remember not doing anything about that okay. for
1: Because sure. it would because it would <laughs> paralyze you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's exactly right. And but then do you remember you still had to go take the test anyway? And whatever you did manage to put in your head, you could almost feel it leaking out of your ears. Do you remember that?
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Yes, I. I, I yes, this is this is uh, flashbacks. Unfortunately. Yes.
1: Yes, a lot of us can identify to that. Okay, so really, that's what nutrition feels like. There is so much information out there. The diet industry, in fact, is gigantic. That for just somebody who wants to get started, it can feel like that test scenario. That it's so overwhelming that you stop before you ever start because who do you listen to? There's a fad, there's an opinion, there's just so much noise out there. So that was one part of why I developed SOS is so that I could give it to somebody in small bite-sized pieces that come every single day because it's out of that consistency and that repetition that true learning happens because you really begin to have time to fail forward, to practice, to identify, to begin to recognize terms Where if I sat for an hour right now and talked about nutrition, you'd only remember the one part that tugged on your heart, and it would probably be that I recovered from an eating disorder. It's just, it comes too hard too fast. So then the second part of why I did SOS is a subscription in small chunks back to when we were learning our multiplication facts in third grade. Do you remember you would be working on your threes and fours, and then your teacher would eventually have you at your nines and tens? And then pull back to the threes and fours to reinforce. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Same Mm -hmm. idea with SOS. Like I'm introducing protein, fat, and fiber. I'm introducing net carb. I'm introducing how we're burning fat for fuel. And these concepts are going to begin to make sense out of the repetition. And what happens once we move past a basic education where there's a little bit of empowerment and success, that's when I can get to what needs to get to. And that's the emotional part. Because anybody can go online and get a food plan. It still is a calories right. in, calories out thing. The problem that people run into, like average women stay with something four weeks, men stay with six weeks, they run into the problem because the emotions get in the way. So that's the part that we really have to tackle. So you have to have the success first, the understanding, and then we have to get into those little roadblocks that can sabotage you know, the best of intentions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me let me ask you this: How, how uh, you know? I'm th- I'm thinking about this from a scalability standpoint. I, I've worked with a lot of trainers, and I've worked with a lot of um, you know dietitians and, and things like that. One of the problems they've they've had in the past, and I think this is alluding to why why you've maybe um, made your programs the way you have is that scalability mm-hmm. tends to be a big problem with them. It's like they either have to imagine kind of a beachbody scenario where they have this huge huge thing with all these uh, all these trainers and all these uh, you know all these plans, or it's like they have to be very very custom. And and basically be you know their personal coach. H- how have you how have you balanced that, and h- how is that working for you? Because I know that's probably you know a str- an ongoing struggle. Yes,
1: and that's I love that question because everything that I did when I was building out Carpenter One Hundred and Eighty with the SOS was my first goal is to get to ten thousand. Not, I mean that's my big. Bullseye goal, 10,000 subscribers. Mm-hmm. So I built this with that end in mind. Everything I did was yes, but when we have 10,000 subscribers, this is SOS has to be automated. So I built it mm-hmm. so that I had. The different email funnels coming off of what direction a person took. And I built it with a lead magnet built right in so that even if they didn't go all the way to subscribing to the program, I could begin to build a relationship with them via email. And I did it so that the automation was intact for collecting money and for sending out the text messages because I wanted to scale that. Now on the flip side, I on purpose am keeping babysit my plate and the one to one so that I keep my feet on the ground and I keep my ear connected to people and my heart involved with what people are struggling with in real time because I can go back into the SOS and I can drop in an extra sound bite to people when I start to hear, you know, s- similar struggles so that I can encourage. But I really wanted to always be working with just a few so that I stayed really relevant and really sharp too.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, now, as a, I mean, as a marketer myself, I work with a lot of startups, um, helping them with their marketing automation and helping them with uh, a lot of the structures that you're talking about. Uh, but how? I mean, most of the time when I when I work with when I work with a client, they they've never heard of it before. Can you can you can you describe like how, what was your journey of kind of realizing you needed to, uh, to automate and then actually getting it done?
1: Uh, okay, so. I started out knowing that I wanted to build out a subscription and then I backfilled it with solutions and it was not linear and it was not easy with SOS because finding the right text service that could deliver the right audio message in in a way that I wanted it to look was a lot of start and stops and a lot of trial and error. And then when building out the website, making sure that the email um, provider that we used would integrate with, the texting service that we used, that was a lot of back and forth. And that was one of the harder parts to building the business was the length of time it took to find the right solutions. Because I'm not a technology person. I am a visionary. I see it working. And so it's not logical to me that the technology is going to struggle and that it's going to take time. And takes just a lot of asking people questions. What are you using? What do you see that works? And trial and error.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I I fully understand. And it's funny that even if you do, like I, I've been using technology, you know, for a really long time, help people with it all the time. But when whenever I'm approaching something for myself, it's still the exact same way because there's so much stuff out there. Things are changing constantly oh, yes. that there's, you know, even, even technologies that you use. Uh, it's it's yeah, it's very difficult to know exactly what exactly how to do it. Yes. Um, and you wear a yeah, lot of yeah, hats
1: as a startup. You're the person marketing, you're the person talking about it, you're the person writing the content, because it's coming from your heart, and then to have to learn so much about how these individual um, plugins or components work, and if they will or won't integrate, it's just, it's a lot of hours in the beginning to get it right, but it's important to get the right foundation.
0: Absolutely. Now, now, did you work with a team, or did you, you, you know, do a lot of it yourself? Like how, how did you, how did you approach that? I did,
1: uh, I hired consultants. So I have an assistant who's amazing and she is the earth and I am the air. So I have my idea and I get the content written and I have the vision and she actually gets it to push play. So we work really well together. And uh, then I have the graphic designer and I have the person who built the, the uh, website and I have just a team of a lot of different people that right now I just pay them hourly.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah. How, how did you approach that? That uh, yeah. Um, how did you approach that financially? So yeah. I mean, because it seems like ideally, what we all want is a is a is a team. So you everybody has what they're they're good at, mm-hmm. and in your case, it's probably it's the content and the science behind mm-hmm. it. Um, but, but knowing that you needed the assistant, knowing that you need the designer, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that, that, that's, that's, uh, takes revenue. It does. So did you, did you already have clients in place and then have a, maybe a little bit of a surplus that you could start investing in those places or did you have to find money?
1: That's okay. So yes, I already had clients that I've been working with all along. So that was money coming in. My husband and I decided that we were going to work at the speed of cash. And so there's a tension there because my brain is fire aim ready. So I would come up with an idea and the fact that I had to sort of save money, work this month to pay for next month was frustrating, but I didn't want to build a business that I started out in debt with. So we just always look.
0: Well, and there's a, rea- there's a reality to it as well. What's so good about what you're talking about is that, you know how you know if your business doesn't work, you don't make any money. <laughs> Right. I mean, because I work with so many people that it's like, you know, we, we create uh, we create pitch decks and they go and raise a bunch of money. And it's like this whole VC world where they're getting money, but they have no idea whether it's going to work. And it's like six months down the road. They go, man, this didn't make half as much money as we thought. And we were like, yeah, it would have been a lot easier if you just went out and started making some money. That's
1: right. That's right. You know, and you get really good when you're having to hustle like that. You have a lot of skin in the game. Yeah, like, it, Yeah.
0: Well, and you're, and you're talking people into buying the actual product versus talking people into the idea of the product. And that's, I think that's the difference.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's funny we're talking about this because I have, you know, a visionary like me that or I'm an Enneagram number three. I am a hard three, which means done is better than perfect. And that mm-hmm. has served me so well with giving birth to this because I want it to be excellent. Of course. But done was always more important in the beginning than absolutely perfect, because I know that we can go back and pivot and change things that um, our customers are telling us aren't as relevant to them as we thought it might be.
0: Yeah, well, and, and I think in a startup environment, that's actually a, a kind of a superpower because, um, man, so there's so much uh, analysis uh, or paralysis by analysis yes. that uh, that people just <laughs> just sit there and it's like, no, let's go for that uh, minimal viable product and and get it out there. Like we'll see we'll see what people think about it. We'll see if it's any good. But yes. you know what's not good is not done. That's right. So that's <laughs> I 100 percent right. agree with you. That's right. So let, let's switch, switch gears just just a little bit. I was I was thinking about this as I was going through your your site. Okay, like two years ago, I I call I had a CrossFit trainer friend of mine, uh-huh. and I called him and I said, um, I said I'm the most I've ever weighed right now. Uh, I you know I feel like crap. Mm. I said I've you know starting January, you and I have uh, like I don't know. I, I ended up trading him like work or something like that because like no way I could afford this guy. <laughs> And, um, and so, you know, I was his consultant and he was my coach and we did it for a year and I ended up losing 40 pounds Congratulations! and best shape of my life. Okay. That was, that was two years ago. Then I kept it off for about a year. And now between, you know, COVID and being stuck at home, mm-hmm. I'm up 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not back up 40 pounds, but I'm up 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I could definitely see how I could get there again. How, it, I learned a lot when I was with him, um, but not, you know, not being able to go with him every single day. And honestly, I just, man, I mean, some of these people, they, they just seem like they're in the military with the amount of discipline mm-hmm. that they have. I just, you know, sometimes I do just want to do Netflix and chill <sighs> and I don't want, and I, I want to eat my chips and salsa and I don't want to, you know, I, I just, I remember, I mean, I, 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 it's not like I barely ate anything, but man, keto was just, you know, not super fun yeah. for about a year. So how, how do you stay motivated? How do you keep your, your clients motivated, especially during times like this? Cause this is tough. At
1: right now is a really tough time with COVID. So it, we do need to give that it's due. Uh, first off, when I approach people, we need to understand that we're looking to create a pattern of eating that you can do right now that you can be doing when you're 70. And so if, Somebody is eating the keto lifestyle, and there are so many benefits to it for certain people. If they see themselves doing that when they're 80, then we're good. If we're doing that just to lose weight, what happens when you get the weight off to your point is you rebound and you go back up because you didn't create habits That are going to be sustainable within the pattern of eating. So, first off, the good news is, and this is one of the most freeing principles that I learned exercise is not part of the weight loss equation, it's part of the weight management equation. So, going in and working out for lean muscle, endorphins, community, cardiovascular health, I have a huge exercise platform and it's important, but it still comes down to the nutritional choices that we're making. I mean, a lot of trainers, when I talk to them, they're like, if I could just get the other 23 hours in line for people outside of the hour that they were with me. So first thing, right now, we're tending to do a lot more emotional eating. And the reason is, it's called the feeling spectrum. And if you can picture your left hand and you were gonna say, touch the stove, you couldn't keep it on a hot stove, it hurts too badly. And your right hand, if you were to put it down on the table, uh, that's your happiness. And it's something so happy that also doesn't sustain, like, say, Christmas morning or the endorphins from a workout. Now, we as humans are wired to want to be happy. So, we naturally are going to do things that pull us away from the left hand or where the pain is. Right now, as a, I mean, the world, we are all experiencing higher levels of pain and they manifest differently stress, boredom, fatigue, tired, uncertainty, anxiety, whatever. We are wired to want to get away from that. Now, there are several things that we could do that society frowns on that can give us an endorphin rush and make some people feel happy, like, say, uh, speeding, stealing, gambling, drugs, um, anything. Those can make you feel Mm -hmm. better but society frowns on it. Now, the one that society does not frown on is overeating. So let's say that you find yourself in the pantry and suddenly you realized you wanted Ben and Jerry's or you wanted pretzels. Now, the reason that you're comfort eating is it's just a stressful time during the day. And maybe you don't even recognize that you're just munching away. Well, the feeling that you had, let's say it was stress, is, is there. While you're eating, it's as though you put a blanket over the stress and you numbed it out because of the endorphins. The problem is there's a finite amount of food. There's going to be the bottom of the ice cream. There's going to be the end of the chip bag. And when you're done eating it, what will happen is your blood sugar will go up and down, you'll get the crash, your stomach will hurt, then the numbness will come off the problem, you'll be left with the stress. And now we have the regret of the overeating and you feel even worse. But the reason I tell you about this feeling spectrum is that if we can actually identify the difference between emotional hunger and physical hunger, it can be very empowering when I start to talk about what to actually put on your plate. So like, you know, when you're sitting at your desk and you've been working all day and then all of a sudden you just think I need some peanut butter or I, I need, I need some chips. You know how that just comes on you all of a sudden.
0: Yeah. I told you about my, my chips and salsa problem. I got it. It's an issue. Okay.
1: So probably <laughs> if you stop for a little minute and you could ask yourself a good question, like, do I have to write an email I don't want to write or do I have a hard conversation coming up or are the kids getting zippy around me or am I worried about finances suddenly? It's probably because it came on fast for the chips and salsa. It's probably not so much that you were hungry physically as much as you needed to be comforted or soothed And the food was bringing you back to your childhood, a time when you were safe and comfortable. It was reminding you of a time when you were at peace. So if you can actually look at what emotion needs to be fed, is it that I'm uncomfortable about the email, then you can begin to slow down the amount of emotional eating that you're doing. Does that make sense to you what I'm saying?
0: It makes perfect sense. I actually had never really heard it uh, talked about like that.
1: That's empowering.
0: Yeah, because I mean... Because, well, I mean, because it's always been about discipline. I think everything I've done has always been about discipline. So it's like, and going back to you saying, saying just trying to hit a certain goal way, it's like I killed it for about a year. Um, and I mean, I was just, so, I was so disciplined and I kept it. Like I said, about a year later, I still stayed on that. And then I started making little concessions and I'm, so you talked about the Enneagram three. <laughs> Um, I am in the Enneagram four with a hard three wing, oh. so I can feel like a three sometimes. huh but I am emotional, uh-huh. <laughs> I am an emotional creature. And, and so you're right. I mean, if I, I can get like, I, I don't get kind of mad. I get, I get mad. I don't get kind of happy. I get real happy. <laughs> so, um, well, you know, so I totally get it. And, and, and right now when there's not a whole lot to do, I mean, I, I have a little home gym, but it's just like, I don't want to work out and there's, it's you know, getting vegetables and something, getting good food is a little more difficult than it has been in the past and you know it's just a little easier to eat Doritos. It
1: it really is. And if I can tap into that just for a minute, emotion always overrides logic. So your logical brain knows what it needs to do. But again, still, we've got all these extra feelings and to your point being a four. So what I seek to do in the beginning is can I explain protein, fat, and fiber and the benefits of what fiber can be in a way that eating any other way becomes illogical? Now, Uh, Right out of the gate, I think that you start making up food rules that I never said, like I'm going to give up Doritos and chips and salsa forever. And that is not the case. What I seek to do is teach people to put on their plate protein, fat and fiber at every meal makes maintaining or losing weight no big deal. The reason for the fiber now, fiber is a zero-calorie part found inside a carbohydrate. If we focus on increasing your fiber, it has zero calories. It will swell in your stomach. It'll tell your brain you're full. It has a lot of bulk. It's very um, much like a sponge in a broom. It'll soak up calories, fats, and toxins and usher them out of the body. When people take their average fiber, and average Americans 9 to 11 grams right now a day, when you get up to 24 grams, studies show that you malabsorb about 90 calories because you upped your fiber. Over the course of a year, that can lead to a 10 pound weight loss. Now your body can't digest fiber, but it's going to burn calories like crazy trying to digest it. So this would be like cardio. Your body will be burning more calories because you put fiber in and you will feel full. You can have weight loss without hunger. And then The protein protects and preserves lean muscle, and then the fat has a little bit of decadence and balances hormones. Together, those three things on your plate turn off eight hungry hormones, and that gives you a lot of control. So... That's the education part of, okay, let's figure out protein, fat, and fiber that we can put on your plate to turn off these hungry hormones. And then if you're not feeling hungry, and you're, say, sleeping better, better energy, you're starting to notice the scale moving in the right direction, then it begins to be that emotionally you're not going to be turning to food as much because your blood sugar is balanced. Things are working more in your um, favor. And that's where I'm able to introduce to people things like thoughtful indulgences. Like we start to figure out what your favorite foods in the world are. And we, we're, we figure out how to work them into your eating rather than how to omit them. Because again, if I had to go without chocolate for the, you know, the rest of my life or to lose weight, that's not going to serve me. So I had to figure out a pattern of eating where I could maintain my weight, but still have my favorite foods. Because food is something that does bring us all pleasure. It is something that we love.
0: Hey guys, thank you for listening to this, uh, this episode. Um, listen, if you want to know more about, uh, the Carpenter 180, you can visit carpenter 180com Um, and, uh, I was, have really enjoyed this conversation. So, uh, that's all for today's episode. Um, listen, if you really enjoyed this episode, please uh, feel free to uh, share it and please review it. Uh, it really helps us uh, come up in the rankings and lets more people see it. Uh, and if you would like uh, more information about uh, web advisory group and how we can help Uh, startups like Carpenter 180 uh, realize their unique vision through branding and marketing, please visit uh, www.webadvisorygroup.com. That's web with two Bs, advisorygroup.com. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode.